Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of hip dislocation found under the orthopedic section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 31-year-old woman presents to the emergency room with severe left hip pain. She was sitting in the passenger seat of a car when the car was hit head-on by another vehicle. On physical exam, she has significant pain and deformity in her left hip. She is unable to move her hip or bear weight. She is neurovascularly intact distally. Her left hip is adducted, flexed, and internally rotated. Let's continue with an introduction to hip dislocation. Clinically, this is defined as a condition in which the femoral head is pushed out of the acetabulum. In adults, it almost always occurs in the setting of significant trauma. Conditions that are associated include that there is a 95% incidence of concomitant injuries to other areas of the body. This may include acetabular and femoral head or neck fractures, knee ligamentous and meniscal injuries, and closed head injuries. In terms of the epidemiology, this is a rare injury, and the most common mechanism of injury is a motor vehicle accident. 90% of dislocations are posterior, whereas 10% of them are anterior. Demographically, this demonstrates a 4 to 1 male to female ratio, and it most commonly affects adolescents and adults aged 16 to 40. Risk factors include significant trauma. In terms of the normal anatomy, remember that the hip joint is inherently stable due to a bony ball and socket architecture and soft tissue constraints which include the labrum, joint capsule, and hip musculature. So significant trauma is therefore required to overcome the inherent stability of the joint. In terms of the mechanism of injury, there may be an axial loading on an adducted femur which predisposes to posterior dislocation. This is sometimes referred to as a dashboard injury. An axial loading on an abducted and externally rotated femur predisposes to anterior dislocation. In terms of the etiology, this may be due to traumatic injury. There may be developmental issues, such as in the setting of developmental dysplasia of the hip, and there may be neuromuscular issues, such as in the setting of cerebral palsy. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms will include severe pain and immobility in the affected hip, and patients may also complain of lower back, groin, thigh, knee, or leg pain. On exam, in a posterior dislocation, one may note that the hip is adducted, flexed, and internally rotated, whereas in an anterior dislocation, it will be abducted, flexed, and externally rotated. There will be pain with passive or active movement, and a head-to-toe exam following advanced trauma life support protocols must be performed given the high incidence of concomitant head and extremity injuries. In terms of further imaging, radiography is always indicated when hip dislocation is suspected. A post-reduction Juday view may be indicated if acetabular fracture is suspected. Specific findings in a posterior hip dislocation include a femoral head that is smaller than the contralateral side and superior to the acetabulum. The femur will appear adducted, and internal rotation of the femur may be noted as the lesser trochanter will be poorly visualized. In an anterior hip dislocation, the femoral head appears larger than the contralateral side and inferior to the acetabulum. The femur appears abducted, and external rotation of the femur is noted as lesser trochanter will be in full profile. A CT scan is indicated if there is suspicion for associated injuries. Findings may include fractures to the acetabulum, 
femoral head, and femoral neck. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about a femoral neck fracture in which the hip will remain in the acetabulum on an AP pelvis radiograph and there will be an isolated femoral neck fracture. Also think about acetabular fracture. In this case, the hip will remain in the acetabulum on an AP pelvis radiograph in most isolated acetabular fractures. In terms of treatment, conservative options include closed reduction under conscious sedation. This is indicated and should be attempted in all traumatically dislocated hips. Contraindications would include an ipsilateral femoral neck fracture. Operative options include an open reduction. This is indicated if there is failure of a closed reduction and if there is radiographic evidence of incarcerated intraarticular fragments. Complications related to hip dislocation include avascular necrosis of the femoral head, sciatic nerve injury, and post-traumatic osteoarthritis. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, favorable factors include an anterior dislocation and simple dislocations, meaning that there is no associated fracture. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to hip dislocation, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 40-year-old woman is brought to the emergency department by ambulance after a motor vehicle accident. She was the restrained passenger in a 50-mile-per-hour car versus truck accident. Her GCS was 15 at the scene, but she was unable to ambulate due to pain. She has no medical problems and takes no medications. The patient's vitals are normal. Physical exam reveals a shortened, adducted, and internally rotated left lower extremity. The patient is at highest risk for injury to which of the following? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Femoral artery Choice 2. Femoral nerve Choice 3. Obturator nerve Choice 4. Pudendal nerve or Choice 5. Sciatic nerve The best answer to this question is Choice 5. Sciatic nerve this patient presenting with difficulty ambulating due to pain and a shortened, adducted, and internally rotated left leg has a posterior hip dislocation. Posterior hip dislocations are associated with an increased risk of sciatic nerve injury due to the nerve's path posterior to the hip joint. Posterior hip dislocations are produced by forces causing hip flexion, adduction, and internal rotation that can occur following high-energy trauma. Patients typically are unable to ambulate due to the pain and may feel a pop or clunk during the dislocation event. The sciatic nerve exits the pelvis via the greater sciatic foramen, emerging inferior to the piriformis and coursing posterior to the short external rotators. It can be stretched, compressed, or even lacerated in a posterior hip dislocation. If it is injured, the perineal branch is more commonly affected, presenting as a foot drop. Treatment consists of closed or open reduction. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Femoral artery injury is unlikely as the femoral artery courses under the inguinal ligament anteriorly and would be far from the site of pathology in this patient. Femoral artery injury can occur with femur fractures and result in significant hemorrhage into the thigh. Choice 2. Femoral nerve injury is unlikely as the femoral nerve courses under the inguinal ligament anteriorly and lateral to the femoral artery. Femoral nerve injury would be present with weakness in knee extension as it innervates the quadriceps muscles and sensory loss over the anteromedial thigh and medial leg. Choice 3. 
Obturator nerve injury is unlikely as the obturator nerve is in the medial compartment of the thigh. Obturator nerve injury would present with weakness and hip adduction. Choice 4. Pudendal nerve injury is unlikely as the pudendal nerve exits the greater sciatic foramen and enters the perineum through the lesser sciatic foramen. It can be injured during childbirth and injury presents with difficulty urinating, constipation, and problems with sexual function. Finally, a bullet summary. The sciatic nerve is at risk for injury in posterior hip dislocations. That's all for this review about hip dislocation. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.